may be seated. Well, good morning, Grace Life Church, and Merry Christmas. This is a first for me. How many people have ever been to a church on Christmas morning? Oh, wow. I'm 47 years old. Maybe that was just a different... Uh... <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here. Grateful for the opportunity for uh, the Lord's birthday to be on the Lord's day. That just makes sense, doesn't it? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to look at a familiar Christmas passage from the Old Testament from Isaiah 9, but we're going to look at an unfamiliar part of it that you may not have connected, Uh, and we're going to talk about darkness and light today, and then we'll be on our way. It's going to be a shorter sermon today. I'm grateful that uh, all of you were able to join us in person, and some of you watching from home, everyone is welcome, as we did our traditional welcome earlier, Grace Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus and offers you welcome, especially on this day, Christmas Day. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day so much. It's a reminder to us the unspeakable condescension of God to dwell with us, to tabernacle amongst us, the darkness, the evil, the sin, the filth. You came, Lord, and you dwelt amongst us. You were not repulsed by the darkness. You were not put off by the darkness. You were drawn to it, Lord. You came. Even though you uh, are light and in you there is no darkness at all, you came to the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend you and it did not conquer you, Lord. You came and you fulfilled your your mission. You came to die for sinners like us, Lord, and in order to die, you had to live. And in order to live, you had to be born. And that's the miracle of the incarnation that we celebrate today. Help us, Lord, to to keep Christmas today the right way and to remember, Lord, the good news of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I'm going to talk about darkness and light. Darkness, uh, when you think about it, it can be lonely, it can be scary, it can be agonizing, depending on what level of darkness, and it can be evil. Part of the scripture that I'm going to read here from Isaiah chapter 9 is going to be familiar to you. You encounter it this time of the year, but maybe you haven't connected the dots and seen what goes before it. So I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You've even heard it alluded to already. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that's a Christmas passage. And we think of Christmas, we think of lights. We think of beauty. We think of togetherness. We think of love. We think of peace, right? That's the beauty uh, of Christmas. But there's also a dark side to Christmas. Why do we need this wonderful counselor? Why do we need an Everlasting Father? Why do we need an Almighty God? Why do we need a Prince of Peace? It's because... We've sinned. It's because we've lost our way. We're dwelling down here in darkness, the deep darkness, the shadow of death. And we're trying to dig ourselves out. We're trying to rescue ourselves, and it's not going well. That's why in Galatians 4, it says, In the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. God waited thousands of years to show us just how desperate our plight was. God knows human beings, and he knows if he would have came in Genesis chapter 4, we would have said, hey, if you would have given us just a few, just a few more days, a few more years, we could have worked our, we could have worked this out, but we couldn't. We had the best saviors that came 
and went, right? We had the best philosophers, the best politicians, the best religious leaders, kings, prophets, priests, and the world is worse off because of them, not better off. So Isaiah, the promise comes to us that light is dawning, but it it comes in a time of deep darkness. So I'm going to read a part of this passage that maybe you haven't read before. And it starts in verse 19 and 20, and here's the context. Israel has rebelled against God. They have turned aside like all humans do. They've gone their own way. They stopped believing His promises. They stopped trusting in Him. And there was a lot of crises and emergencies going on, and they were turning to other countries for help, like Egypt and Assyria and Babylon. And God said, you don't want to trust me? You want to trust them? Then have your way. I'm going to give you over to them. So they were facing exile, and they were angry, they were sad, they were dejected. Check this out. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Do you hear that? It's because they don't see. These people were talking to mediums, to necromancers. The, the modern street language would be a, a, a psychic, somebody to read their future, somebody to read tarot cards. They would turn anywhere but upwards to God in brokenness and repentance. And that's why verses 22 and 23 says this. Check this out. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. So they're distressed, they're in agony, so they look up in anger and they shake their fist at God and say, this is your fault. And then it continues here. And they will look to the earth and behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Do you hear a theme there? Distress, darkness, anger, contempt, gloom, anguish, thick darkness. That phrase, deep darkness, is actually a really interesting kind of an unusual compound word. It means literally the death shadow. They are entrenched in this death shadow, and they live there, and it combines the idea of darkness and death. So three three quick points this morning, then we'll be on our way. The realities that we see here are reflected in our own day in this passage. And here's the first one. We live in darkness. The Bible uses darkness as a metaphor for us, and it's not a good one. It's, it's not a uh, particularly encouraging metaphor to be used because it usually means ignorance or it means evil, right? So that's the first point. We live in darkness, and we love it. That's the worst part. Love may sound like a strong word to you, but that's the, the exact word the Bible uses in John three nineteen. Jesus, speaking to the religious people in his day, said this is judgment, that light has come into the world, but people have hated the light and loved darkness because their hearts and deeds are evil, right? So we live in darkness, but we prefer it. We're comfortable there under the cover of night. Second point, we can't escape ourselves. We can't dig ourselves out of this darkness. We try. We self-medicate. We ignore the real problem. We look upward, but we won't rescue on our terms, not God's. We look downward, and we're just even deeper, impenetrable darkness. And the third point is that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. So point number one is that we live in darkness, and we love it. That's what you heard 
from Isaiah chapter 8, just right before this good news message comes, is that they are down on the earth, they're separated from God. Darkness is probably the best metaphor and analogy in the Bible for separation. Separation, darkness affects humans. And what happens to us, we're told by professionals, when we spend extended periods away from light, especially sunshine, is that bad things happen. Evil things grow and begin to prosper. Did you know right now, in one of the northernmost towns in the world, called Barrow, Alaska, it is, I checked today, it's negative 12 degrees there. But did you know right now they're under, uh, in pitch black, and they will be for another entire month, because uh, one time in the year, beginning about the end of November, all the way through the end of January, those people are plunged into darkness because they live 320 miles above the, uh, the Arctic Circle. And that's a place that has two months of severe darkness. It's cold. It's lonely. People feel disconnected. They even get disoriented. And it's in complete darkness. The scientists call it the polar night. The locals there call it endless night. It's long. It's a cold, dark, lonely winter. What happens to humans when they live in prolonged night and sub-zero temperatures? Bad things. This is what the experts tell us. Some residents in that region suffer from something called seasonal affective disorder. SAD is the initials for it. And it's a condition that's triggered by extended deprivation of light. Some symptoms are, are kind of harmless. They sleep more. I mean, it makes sense to me. I would too. They eat more. They crave carbohydrates. But other symptoms are more serious. Depression. Cases of depression skyrocket. Conflict. Dramatic increase in suicides, divorce, substance abuse that time of the year. It's the highest in the nation. That's because darkness hurts us. We need light. Paul David Tripp said this about the light of Christmas. He said, in the darkness of immorality, injustice, violence, greed, self-righteousness, thievery, racism, and a host of other ills, the world was desperate for light. Everyone was part of the problem, and everyone suffered from the problem, but no one can solve the problem. So darkness is a metaphor for sin. And we live in darkness, and we, if we're honest, the Bible has us pegged, we prefer the darkness because it keeps things anonymous, it keeps things hidden, it keeps things private. And when you shine the lights on somebody that's doing something secret, something immoral, something evil, there's offense. It's scandalous to them, right? The Bible has us pegged. The Bible says, we like sheep have gone astray. All of us had turned away from God. We've gone to our own way. And Romans chapter 1 even talks about when God makes a repeated attempts to uh, draw us to himself, we continually reject him. The Bible says he gives us over. He gives us over to a debased mind. That's what Romans 1 talks about. So point number two is we cannot rescue ourselves. We look up, we shake our fist in anger. Roman, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 8 says, we look down and there's nothing but darkness. We can't find our way. Now, we can, live, we, can, we can live our life, but we don't have any source of light or clarity within us. It's, it's interesting, man. Around the land at night, I'll be driving. And have you guys ever encountered this? You'll see, you'll see a car, and it's pitch black outside, but they do not have their headlights on. But because of the light outside of them, they're able to function, right? There's street lights. There's other cars. 
there's the lights from buildings, but they're clueless. They don't have any lights. And you know what's going to happen when they get outside of town. Something bad's going to happen unless they turn their lights. So I'm flicking my lights on and off. I'm waving at them. I'm shouting. They probably think I'm crazy. And that's kind of how we function down here. We may feel offense at the Christian message. We may feel scandalized that, you know, Jesus claims we're so sinful. He had to come and die for us, and we scoff and we mock. But we can't even make sense of the world unless we borrow from the Christian worldview. So we got this light. It's dim for us. It doesn't come from within us. There's darkness there. We just kind of borrow the light outside of us. But eventually, we're going to have to go outside of town, and we're going to be plunged into darkness. The Bible says we cannot rescue ourselves. All we do is we just dig ourselves deeper. We get more tangled up in the darkness, in the depravity, in the sin. We can't do anything. God gave us thousands of years, repeated efforts that failed, right? We were so far away from Him. The Bible says when Christ came, we were hopeless. We were distant. We were cold. We were alienated. We were separated from God. That's what darkness means. We wandered deep into a cave of our own sin and misery. That reminds me of this story about a cave rescue in Thailand. It happened when I was in seminary, and it just kind of captured the whole world. Millions of people were watching this transpire because it took place over two weeks. There was a coach and 12 of his soccer players in Thailand, and one day after practice, uh, they wanted to take a field trip into a nearby cave, but it was the monsoon season. The rains came, and they were two miles deep into this cave And their escape was closed off by monsoons, by water. And there they sat in darkness. I mean, it was pitch black, not a ray of sunshine in that place. They were running out of food. They were running out of oxygen. And they were running out of hope. And so when word began to spread, where are all these boys? They're missing. And and people figured out, oh, my goodness, they they found their bikes chained outside the cave. You remember this? So then they started panicking and saying, we got to put together a rescue operation. But nobody had ever faced anything like this. The rescue mission, the national coordinator for the Thailand Cave Rescue, said the complexity of that extraction was off the charts. They did not think that they would be able to go and rescue those kids. In fact, they put together a a SEAL team there of, I think, 13 or 14 Navy SEALs, and they could swim to the boys. But when they got to the boys, they realized, wait a minute, these are just young teenagers. Some of them can't swim. They're tired, they're weak, they're already disoriented from their two-week stay here with no food. There's very little oxygen. There's absolutely no way we're going to be able to get them out of here. So the Navy SEALs, as powerful and strong, thank God for them, they made it to the boys, but the boys, they couldn't swim them out, and they thought, they're going to die here. What can we do? But do you guys remember how this story ended? There were two unlikely heroes who helped rescue those boys. And, and, and pardon my English here, they were just nerds from England. They were two nerds, seriously. The, their passion and their hobby was cave diving. That's all they did. All their life they had done that. And one of them happened to, to be watching the TV, and he called up his buddy, and he goes, look, mate, we got to go over there, chap. We got to help these blokes out. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they're going to die over there. So they went over there, and the Navy SEALs said, what are you doing here? They said, we're here to help. And they were able to dive, make it to those boys, and I'll make the long story short here. With the help from an Australian doctor friend of theirs, do you remember what they did to get those boys out? They figured it out. If we try to make these boys swim out, they're all going to drown, every single one of them. There's only one thing we can do to help them, and that's sedate them. That's put them under. Basically, the guy was an expert, I guess, in anesthesiology. 
and they figured out how much anesthesia they had to give these boys. They were so sedated, they just had to be rescued. They, they, they did not lift a finger to rescue themselves. They couldn't. They were completely asleep. Every single one of them, they put a mask on them. They put oxygen tanks on them to help them breathe. And they had to drag those boys, each and every one of them. It's, it, I think it was a mirror. A lot of people were praying around the world. All 12 of those boys and their coach escaped without loss of life or serious injury because they had to, tr- they had to tell them before they put them under, look, you're going to have to trust us. We're going to put you to sleep, but if you try to rescue yourself, you're going to drown, you're going to die. And man, what a metaphor that is for, for the rescue of Jesus because Jesus came to us. We were in deep darkness. We were helpless. The Bible says we were dead. We were taken captive by Satan. We were blind. We were dumb. We couldn't do it. We were ignorant. How helpless would we be? I mean, you can't, can't get any more helpless or hopeless than that. So that's, that's the second point, is that we couldn't rescue ourselves. And here's the third point. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Check this out. Check this scripture out. I'm going to start in, in verse 1. So it's interesting how if you read through Isaiah, it's darkness, anguish, expectation of death and judgment, and then shock, surprise, God sends rescue. That's all the way through Isaiah. And, and you're curious when you're reading through it, what, where's the rescue coming from? Who's this son that's given? Who's this child that's born? It's not until you get until the 40s, 42, it's a suffering servant. And then 53, it's the suffering servant who will be crushed for our transgressions, who will be pierced for our iniquities. Who's that? Well, that's Jesus. Well, check this out, though. God was about to send judgment. He was about to send exile. And then something dramatic changes. Verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the nations. And then verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now that's exactly the verse that Matthew chapter 4 quotes when Jesus came. And he came from Nazareth. And you remember what people were saying Can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus was this child born in weakness, as it were, born on the wrong side of the tracks. The heads of state were not there. He was born in a dirty manger, unclean. There was no room at the inn. He wasn't in a palace. He wasn't in a temple. He was born in a manger, and the witnesses there were shepherds. So there's this surprise rescue that came from outside of us. It says, uh, on them light has shone. In Hebrew, it actually means has burst forth, has dawned. Isn't that interesting? There's this light that comes that represents our rescue, our salvation, but it didn't come from down here because there's no source of light down here. There's only death, darkness, sin, evil, and judgment. Death came from, excuse me, life came from beyond us. That's what light represents. It represents truth. It represents clarity. It represents beauty. And Jesus is all those things. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this. This is the verse for our service today. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to ask you a question as we're trying to close out here. Are you right now, in this moment, this Christmas in 2022, are you following Jesus? 
I mean, that's a bold claim for somebody to make if they're just another human, just another teacher like everybody else. But if they're God's son, if they're divine, if they're uh, an everlasting father and a wonderful counselor and an almighty God and a prince of peace, then, man, that's, that's quite a claim that we need to we need to embrace. We need to sink our teeth into that. Are you following right now at this moment Jesus Christ? Because if you're not, the Bible has some really grim news for you. It says you're walking in darkness and you don't realize it. You're like that person driving their car with their headlights turned off and pretty soon you're going to crash. You're just borrowing the light from the culture and from the uh, common grace that God gives around you. But maybe you just have a Gallup poll or a Barna Research poll kind of faith, right? You come to church... But you go home and you're really trusting in yourself to get you through this life. Uh, God has a better way. He sent Jesus. You know, that is the most humbling thing I think that a human being has, has to embrace. Is that we are so sinful that Jesus had to come. God had to send his son to die. But we're so loved by God, he was glad to do that for us. But that's humbling because we don't like to ask for help. But that's the one thing in this passage that God demands from us is that we ask for help. You know, some people would rather die in their sins, and some of them literally, physically, than to ask for help because it's too humbling. Do you know what choking has been called? The silent killer. Do you know why? Do you know why people uh, often who choke at a public place, do you know why they end up dying? Here's what happens. They realize, uh-oh, I've swallowed something, uh, and I can't get any wind. There's something in my windpipe that doesn't belong there. How embarrassing. I'm having to cough. My face is turning red. I can't breathe. This is going to get worse and worse. I better go to the bathroom and get myself sorted out, right? You know what usually, you, what usually happens when a person is already choking and they get up from the table, they excuse themselves, and they run to the bathroom? It's a one-way trip. They come out, but on a stretcher. Now, you ask yourself, why is that? To me, that's, a, that's just an analogy. It's a picture of what shame and guilt and fear does. We're so ashamed that we would have to, I mean, isn't it more shameful to get carried out of a restaurant on a stretcher with your face blue? That's more shameful, isn't it? You have to ask for somebody, do the, the universal sign for choking is this, right? You guys, hey, this sermon could save your life one day. If you're choking, don't go to the bathroom, wave your hands, jump up and down and go, oh, help me, Heimlich maneuver, somebody help. But that's a metaphor and analogy for the pride of human beings. We are so proud. We are a prideful people. We do not want to ask for help. We want to dig ourselves out. Why? Because then we get the glory. We're self-made. Look what we did. We're hustlers. We got out. We did it. We rescued ourselves. Glory to us. Aren't we amazing? We can explore the wonder of who we are, right? We're the wonderful counselors. No, there's only one wonderful counselor. There's only one king. There's only one throne, and he does not share glory with another. We need this king, but the good news is, even though we thrust ourselves into darkness, God doesn't leave us there. He loves us so much. He came down, just like those people from England, flew all the way over to Thailand, risked their own life to rescue 12 boys they had never met before. God knows us. He understands our plight. He's the wonderful counselor that, that gets it. Our minds are darkened. Our intellect has been affected by the fall and by evil and by sin. We can't think ourselves out of this. We can't vote ourselves out of this. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and work ourselves out of this. We need outside help. We need outside sources of life. And that's what Jesus came to do. And he gets the glory for that. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God's answer to the world's deepest problem is a child born in obscurity from the wrong side of the tracks. Salvation came out of Galilee. And the last thing is verse 7 at the very end of chapter 9 of Isaiah. It says, of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then check this out. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's his zeal that will do this. It's not our zeal. At Christmas, we're not singing about how awesome our devotion is, are we? How intense my allegiance and loyalty and obedience are to God. Merry Christmas to me, man. I'm such a great, God's lucky to have somebody like me, man. I'm so earnest in my obedience. No, it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will do this. We did not lift one finger to rescue ourselves. We did all the sinning, and God did all of the saving. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is the light for all of us when all the other lights go out. And that's what God offers us in Christ this year. And wasn't it worth getting out of bed and putting on a weird sweater like I did? If you laugh at my sweater, the sermon goes on. <laughs> it's worth getting out of bed. This is the first time for me. The Lord's birthday fell on the Lord's day, and I can't think of a better way to honor Him than gather together as the family of God, humble ourselves under this mighty King of Heaven that was born in a manger, and say, thank you, Jesus. You came down into the deepest darkness darkest, thickest, slimy place of evil. You know that, that Hebrew compound word, deepest shadow of darkness? Didn't Jesus do that? He walked into our valley of the shadow of death, right? And he punched through the other side of that grave. Death swallows all of us, but Jesus Christ conquered death. He swallowed death. Now he has the keys to death and Hades. Amen? He conquered Satan and we are, because of him, more than conquerors. If God is for you, who can be against you? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that every single person here and watching from online has this hope, has this Christmas hope, Lord. When there is darkness and evil and sin, when we are wayward and rebellious and guilty, we know that there's hope because God didn't come to fist bump people and congratulate the movers and the shakers and the VIPs. He came for the sick. He came for the guilty. He came for sinners, Lord. And you offer your righteousness to us. And today we humble ourselves. We agree with you that we need rescue. We thank you, Lord, with grateful hearts that you sent Jesus, our Prince of Peace, our wonderful Counselor, our everlasting Father, our Almighty God. I pray that every single person has this hope today. Thank you, Lord. Merry Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.